0: For those of you who have not been to the LSC reading series before, let me tell you what the magic silver box is. The magic silver box lives on the table here next to the books that are for sale all evening. So intermission, what you're going to do is you're going to write a question on one of these pieces of paper, put it in the magic silver box. If I, You're like, yes, this is sounding good. Put that question in the box, and it turns into a bunny. No. And if I ask the question during the panel discussion you get a prize. Hi, this is Catherine Lasota, host of LIC Reading Series, a monthly event that I founded in April 2015 at LIC Bar in Long Island City, Queens. In this episode of our podcast, you are going to hear the panel discussion from our October 15, 2019 event, which featured Carly Moore, Josephine Rowe, and Sofia Stefanovich. If you want to hear the readings from this event, just listen to our previous episode. In the panel discussion to LIC reading series, you will also hear the magic silver box. The magic silver box is something that I ask audience members to put a question into. And if I ask that question during the panel discussion, that audience member who asked the question gets a prize. There's also the appearance of um, some plastic, little plastic animals that a kept showing up at our most recent events and i think some of our readers may have ended up taking some of those animals home during the panel discussion we'll see let's have a listen let's jump into lic bar where we are starting our panel discussion from october 15 2019 with carly moore josephine Rowe, and sophia stefanovich all
1: right
0: so this is how this is gonna work guys carly's been here before
1: (laughs) this part's really fun i mean it's all fun but don't be scared
0: (laughs) And um, so we do have three very different books up here. We have a novel and a memoir and a story collection and even outside of genre, some differences here. But one thing I think that you all do so well and I wanna ask about is how you, what place, a sense of place means to you in your work? Because I feel like you all develop that so well. Um, Certainly in Miss Ex Yugoslavia, this is very important And also evoked very well the different sense of places throughout the book. I was brought back to, in Carly's book, remembering that time of Occupy in New York City very well. And then Josephine, I mean, we heard from one story, but these stories take place in all these different locations that I just, you all do such a great job at, at creating that sense of place. So I wonder if you could talk about what that means to you in your writing. And anyone can start that, this idea of place and where, where stories take place.
1: Okay.
2: Um. <laughs> Just because you've been here before. <laughs> Carly. Uh,
1: so, yeah, so 2011, fall, Occupy, uh, New York City. Um, you know, I, I so I, I worked pretty hard. Well, I spent time at Occupy, like, Probably some people in the room. I wasn't an occupier, but um, I was very taken with the whole thing. So I I had a lot of memories to work with, and I also took a lot of pictures. Um, My husband at the time um, and I, our, our daughter was two, and we went there. Like almost every day. And we sent our students and we sort of made a project out of it. So I, I had a lot to draw upon. And then I, you know, I did research and I made friends with an occupier and he um, gave me a lot of information. So I do, I worked really hard to recreate that place. And then I also just really wanted to have, um, I've been in New York since 1994. So I really wanted to Um, recreate the pace of New York like the book I think moves pretty quickly hopefully and um, I wanted to have that sort of um, movement of New York City and that sort of this feeling that I often get here or, or maybe I forget I get it but this sort of manic movement like you have to keep going and you have to keep moving on the subway you can't go slow um (laughs) but you know and then there are these little rests of those those interlude chapters which i think are interstitial interstitial Mm. thank you um and i've i've come to think of those as sort of rests so um yeah i drew a lot on personal experience to recreate those um occupy in the city um and I think being a poet helped too, just images. I mean, we all work with images, but...
0: How does being a poet help especially? Can you can you put that in words, poet?
1: I think there's... Uh, <laughs> I think there, like the... I don't know who's... I'm not going to be able to remember who said this, but the main thing the poet does, especially like the pastoral poet, which doesn't really fit with the urban thing, is to say like, lo behold <laughs> look <laughs> see uh so yeah so I've just been you know I've had a, a a lifetime of just looking very closely um which is maybe a poet thing or maybe just a writer thing
0: can the 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 low behold by the way reminds me of um a previous guest we had here it was Maria Devana Headley who oh yeah yeah. yeah, do you remember she was doing a retelling of Beowulf? She yeah. was translating and she was talking about how it opens mm-hmm. and how she was, do you remember what she yeah. said? I do
1: no, know, I don't know. If it was something like,
0: she was going to open it, dude. Oh,
1: yeah. Right? <laughs> that's how she was going
0: to translate. She was be like, oh, no, bro. It was bro. bro. Yeah, bro. She's gonna, her, tra- her translation of Beowulf is going to start that way. Bro. Yeah. She's like, it's such a bro story.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, that's true.
1: Yeah, Occupy has some real broishness too, so, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, Sophia.
2: I love Place and it helps me. Um, so my book is a memoir and in order to write, it, I had to access a lot of memories. And I did that through kind of trying to, remember place and be quite visceral about it. I'm also quite visual and I um, really like film and I imagine things quite visually. So I think I'm definitely not a poet in that I think (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, so I certainly – like my my um, way of writing is to try and, p- try and get across in the most simple way possible what it is that I'm trying to illustrate. So I often have quite short sentences. I often and, – and I have English uh, – English is my second language and I often think of someone reading it as being someone who has English as a second language as well. So I think that um, there are lots of things that I like to bring into writing including – um, you know, place and surrounding and what, pe- what things, um, smell like and look like. Uh, and that's, and I use that while I'm writing because it helps me a lot. And now, um, I'm doing it a lot in, in what I'm writing now. I don't think I have, um, well, maybe I do look, I don't want to to completely say something terrible about myself, but maybe I don't have imagination enough to just completely make up a, a place. Like I really love, um, the, tangibility of places so at the moment i'm trying to write fiction god help me with that but it's everything is super real places and things that happen actually really i mean okay but like
0: (laughs) fiction writers can we talk about this in in terms of place do places come completely out of nowhere or do they draw from well i don't know
2: i i but i mean there's fantasy people write things and they completely make everything up while mine i'm like oh this is made up oh that seems really like whenever i make it completely make something up i'm like it just doesn't seem (laughs) i had a character so all i write about is like ex-yugoslavian characters so i was like this person's gonna be Macedonian which is like and then I started writing this character and I'm like oh it just doesn't ring true it just doesn't ring true and then it's like oh he's Serbian and it's like that's exactly the same as me so anyway that's just a tangent but I love place I think that place for me is really important Uh, a big part of my book is me trying to find what my place is like where I belong and a conclusion that I come to is that place isn't actually that important that my home is something that I carry inside me rather than a physical place. So I deal a lot with geography and kind of remembering places and then I kind of, yeah, question that as well. You question? What geography, like why places are important Mm. and whether they are.
0: Are places important, Josephine? Um,
3: In my experience, yes. But uh, the, the story collection was written over about seven years and three major countries it moves across are Australia, Canada and America and those are all places that I've, I've lived and I think I've definitely, you know, I've been different versions, not, not entirely, but I have definitely kind of like brought different aspects out in me like a, a montreal winter is something that i don't think i need to do again anytime <laughs> soon <laughs> a newfoundland winter slightly different but um uh the collection started in australia thinking about australian place based mythologies um so so kind of certain locales that are charged in the general australian psyche for whatever reason um often that had to do with urban legends and things like that and you know just particular hot spots for weirdness and um over a number of years living in different places i think just sort of you know i think i write about places more vividly when i'm not in them um and I'm always not somewhere, I'm always, you know, on the other side of the world from somewhere I care deeply about. So it's sort of, you know, it's a, it's a deep well. Um, yeah. It, sorry. So
0: if you just keep moving forever, you always have material. <laughs> you just write about all the places. It's endless.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I think also the hyper-awareness that comes from being in a new place in yeah. the first couple of weeks as well, where it is a survival mechanism, you're just kind of, you know, trying to to yeah. navigate it, but everything's in sort of high volume, high color. Um, Are you
0: taking notes during that time? Because it's such high resolution at that moment?
3: Um, in some ways it I think you can't help it, regardless of whether you're actually writing them down and also leaving a place if you kind of, um, there is this tendency to kind of snatch and grab what you can that sort of cycles back. Um, yeah.
0: Well, that thing makes me think of this, another question that I had for all of you, and it's like snatching and grabbing what you can, or like what makes it into your memory or your story. I think about um, the choices that you've each made in terms of editing these into stories and, and, and the story you wanted to tell, like Sophia, you're, you have the prologue and then your memoir is roughly chronological. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of details from your life, but what stays, what stays in there and what, is not in there. And I wonder if you could each speak to that about like the process of shaping the stories that you've made and how you decided to what was important to be in there, I guess, in a broad sense or specific sense.
2: For memoir, I think that's a particularly important question because obviously the things that happened between the age of zero and 23 or whatever, um, there were a lot more things. So I had to, you know, be, I had to make it into a story that, you know, these are the things that are important to the story and these are the things that aren't. So so there are plenty of things that happened in my life during that time that didn't make it just because they weren't. So, so there are certain questions. I think that um, for me, my book, and I think that many books um, are about asking certain questions. So they're questions that I was obsessed with that I explored and didn't really answer, like I don't know, if anyone does, but it was like, so I wanted to know about, um, identity, uh, and what it's like being an immigrant kid and what home is and what ethnic identity is and whether that's important or not. And so these are the things that I was kind of fixated on. Uh, and so the book was a way for me to ask myself those questions. And then the way that I asked them was through things that happened to me in my life and how they affected me. But then I think it's interesting because when the book was coming out, I felt so vulnerable and I was like, this is like, and also it coincided with me having the baby that I mentioned in the queen story. So I felt like extra vulnerable anyway. And then suddenly I was sending this out into the world and I almost felt like I was sending this little tender baby slash me myself into the world for anyone to read and hate or say something horrible about. And it felt really sort of awful in a way. But then I remembered, and people, smart people, reminded me that that wasn't my entire life. That was a story that I was telling about my life now. So I could write another memoir about that same age and it could be very different. So, in a way, it's like I feel like it's very truthful and it's very true to my feelings and experience. But at the same time, it is a work of art. It is a creative project that I embarked upon. I was really worried what my mum would think about it, so I kept like trying to get her to read it and being like, what do you think, what do you think? And, you know, is it true, did I say it right? And she was like, well, look, if I'd written a book about my life, it would have been different, but you wrote it and that's your version. And she was a lot more kind of chill about it. which wonderful, actually. Yeah, she she was a lot more sensible while I was like, did I get the, you know. And, And she said, well, yeah, it's like... She actually kept saying, how's your novel going? So maybe she was like, you know. Yeah, but everyone's experience is different. So you just have to, back to your initial question of what do you decide to put in and what do you decide to put out by the end of it, you are uh, crafting stories just like with, with fiction,
0: how did you craft that fiction, Carly?
1: <laughs> I mean, I like a tight time frame. Uh, I, I mean, I really admire and have loved so many novels that, you know, span generations. Like Pachinko comes to mind. Um, I recently read, and, you know, everybody loves that book. And it's, you know, it's like three generations of a family. And I, I think that's so amazing. And I aspire to do that. But I I tend to sort of gravitate towards a, this is like, you know, it goes through the season, so it's it's got summer, fall, or autumn, or winter and spring, but really it only is, like, eight months, and that felt mm-hmm. <laughs> manageable to me. Um, and then, the, I mean, this novel, I think, like, most novel, or maybe, I don't know, I, I'm hearing different things, and I hear different things from novelists, but this novel went through, like, you know, eight or nine revisions, I went through a lot. Um, and the initial version was just Stevie's voice in first person, and it had the interstitial chapters. Um, and Mel and Johanna were characters, but they uh, were all told through Stevie's perspective. And then... Um, an editor that didn't end up um, acquiring the book was was really in, interested in it and sort of suggested that I make it bigger and give Mel and Johanna their own storyline. So they moved into having their own arcs, and um, you know, they those stories are in third person, and you know, that was kind of a that was like an eight month revision. Um, and then I also have you know I have like sixty thousand words that are cut from this book. <laughs>
0: Where do they? Where do those words live? They're in
1: a file called the cut pieces. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. You know, I, I mean I I think a lot of writers do that. And I I can't I can't totally put them in the garbage. I just have to make a, a file. So I, and actually, you know, you do, I do end up pulling from from those cut places for later sometimes. Josephine. Um,
3: well, it probably depends on the story, but generally. I find with short stories what what can you leave out as much as possible as much as you can get away with but like carly I, you know a lot a lot probably ended up on the cutting room floor and some of the stories i started seven years ago and was still worrying at right up until print and you know kind of pulling it back from my editor saying like wait 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 i know what's wrong now and then just kind of like cutting a big swathe from it um Generally, I find if you can leave as much room as possible for a reader to kind of um, make their own connections and their own inferences, then the better. Uh, Occasionally, as in the story I just read, you you get a character who just won't shut up. Like, they just, like, and you have to decide, like, do I just let this, do I just let this person talk? (laughs) And and sometimes that's a story.
0: Uh, um, that's as interesting I actually have just one last question before the magic silver box and this is related to that because you talked about putting these stories together this collection together for many years and I think it's true that your novel A Loving Faithful Animal started as a story and developed into a novel that's right yeah so um, and then and Carly you've written essay collection you've written chapbook and um Sophia, you've done stories for the moth, which are much shorter, much shorter than you know an entire book-length memoir. Do you each find special challenges or pleasures in these different kinds of forms—longer forms, or forms shorter forms, or challenges for yourself, or preferences? If I didn't say that word already.
3: Uh, I mean, ultimately, I found a novel so much easier. short story collection yeah yeah um it kind of holds everything that you feel like talking about or whatever you're interested in even though mine was you know quite autobiographical i suppose um it did start with a place-based australian mythology and was originally going to be part of this collection so i sort of wrote the novel in between i wasn't just slacking off for seven years there was a novel in there as well (laughs) um yeah, but um, I don't. Actually, I'll step back for a
0: little bit About um, about so,
2: for like, example, in, in the moth,
0: that you maybe you'll tell a story. They're really short. Story, yeah, right? and then and I believe maybe even some
2: of the moth storytelling might be Yeah, the, moth, the, the moth, 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 moth Yeah, the moth helping out. So the moth. Um, do you guys know what that is? They're like shorts. So you tell like a five-minute story, and it's got to do with. Your life. That's actually kind of why I wrote the book. So I moved to New York about six years ago, um, and I'd been working as a writer and um, I'd been working in TV, like co writing with people. Um, and I'd always wanted to do a, something longer, but I hadn't decided what exactly. And then I came here and I went to The Moth, and I had never got up in front of people and just talked before. And I thought, well, this is New York. Everyone here, for some reason, has like no shame. People are just like getting up and telling any story with no kind of – because I'm always like, oh, you know, are people going to hate me or whatever? And then I thought, well, no one here cares. Like they're just saying stuff. Uh, I don't know anyone in New York. So then I said um, a story and it was about me being a little immigrant kid in Australia. And for some reason people really liked it and were really kind about it and wanted to hear these stories. So suddenly I was like, oh, wow, well, people want to hear – these little anecdotes that I tell all the time anyway because I'm interested in them and then I sort of started weaving them together into something big. But I feel like um, my both that book and the moth stories have a very, very specific sort of way uh, that they're told. They they have a very strong kind of narrative arc. They have beginnings, middles and ends and my book is made up of little anecdotes that kind of, um, you know, it's like each chapter has a sort of beginning, middle and end and then there's a story arc that goes throughout the whole book. And for me, making it's chaotic and awful things that happen in life, which do happen in my book, like there's wars and there's a family tragedy and things like that, um, making them into stories that have some sort of resolution so, you know, they have a beginning and they have a middle and they have an end, provide some sort of comfort. So I actually love that kind of classic storytelling and I do a lot of that. So the moth is like in five minutes tell a story about and then, you know, you're, you're basically like making something really uh, tangible and understandable and okay in a way. And now that I'm um, not writing in this kind of anecdotal way, I'm, I'm writing fiction, it's a little bit scary because it's like, oh, where am I sort of comforting things where I have like this is the start and this is the middle and this is the end because fiction is so kind of unwieldy. So I'm actually really curious to hear a little bit more from the fiction writers. But I'll say I have a – can I do a question later on? Like I didn't put one in the box. Can I ask? Them I a mean, question? do you want to
0: ask your fellow panelists something? Like related yeah, yeah, yeah. to this? I'm Go ahead. Them, but first, I want
1: Carly I mean, to answer your question,
2: and then yeah, I'll sure. it, and then you can do the box. I, I love the discussion
0: among the panelists. This is the best.
1: Um, I love all the genres. <laughs> I Just want to say I do. Um, I mean, poetry is my first genre, and um, I don't. I don't write as much poetry as I used to, but I still. And most of the poetry I write now is on my phone which I, I really, I like, um, I like the sort of immediacy of writing on my phone and doing something different on the subway and just sort of, again, that sort of looking that I get to do or paying attention. Um, so for me, that's, that's where poetry lives right now. And then essays, you know, I taught essays for years and, you know, Sixteen Pills, I, I really think I had a lot to sort of explore, uh, you know, coming out of my marriage and coming out and uh, being a mom and sex positive and just you know having a disability and thinking about pill taking and so you know I really just had a lot that I needed to like figure out so essays were a really good place for that and and novels I don't I don't have any training in them I'm totally self-taught and I will say that you know at first they have really, been a challenge um like plot has been really hard for me but i do feel now the one i'm working on and in the not what it's like something really clicked and i i started to really act my daughter actually helped me a lot because she was learning about fiction in fourth third and fourth grade and she kept saying to me like mama you have to have a problem at the beginning of the book What is my problem? <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, I do think that I, you know, that arc is useful, although I'm always really interested in books, and I think that I sometimes end up subverting that arc too. Um, but, you know, I think mainstream publishing really loves that arc, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's important, or not.
2: Um, I wanted to ask my fellow panelists, how much does subconscious and unconscious play a role in your writing? Like, do you have dreams and and write about them, or do you, uh, or do you have like a plan for your novel
3: before you begin? Uh, I'm definitely the the former, definitely, and I think a lot of my writing is very uh, image based. But also, I think writing at its best without sounding too like woo woo, Joan of Arc in the woods, listening to her father's voice, kind of crazy. Um, yeah. I feel like at its best it's kind of it feels like remembering something that you already know Uh, and the problem there is that like some days you're primed for that you just wake up in that state and others it's just like uh, a hole Mm -hmm. um and you don't want to be lazy you still want to write but sometimes it's just like you really feel like it's an uphill slog and you can't it's like you can't hear and anything, you're waiting or, or you don't yeah. remember, like yeah. you just don't remember what happened.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You when you said that you're trying to remember something, I remember um, hearing George Saunders was talking somewhere, and he's so, hold up. I just want
0: to shout out to George Saunders, who I think has been name-checked at the series more than any other.
2: Well, he has this beautiful <laughs> he's, way of he's describing this as well. Too, yeah. He talks about like um, that a story or whatever you're trying to write is like um, if you imagine this vase, like this beautiful vase, and then it falls and it shatters. And what you're trying to do through writing it is just put it back as best you can, but it's something that already – it's already beautiful and it already exists already and it beautiful. already was. And then uh, what your job as a writer is that you're kind of trying to make it like that again which I I really liked and that, and you just, um, yeah, that sounds like that's how you feel about writing as well.
3: Like it's just there. You just have to uncover it. Um, I am very inconveniently forgetting like a great quote about just that by like an older writer. (laughs) I'll pick it up later. But yeah, that idea that it's already there somewhere you just need to to, bring it to the surface.
1: If I'm sort of deep into the book or like I'm sort of humming along, um, I do start to dream the next chapters which is so great when that happens. Like I will wake up and be like,
3: huh. <laughs>
1: uh, but, but yeah, the other, the first, I would say for me always like the first 50 or 60 pages, I just really kind of, I just let weird things. I mean, I try to let weird things happen no matter what, but especially in the beginning. And then I start to have a sense of like, oh, this will happen or I'll start to get a sense of like, oh, that will happen at like, that will be a sort of climactic moment or I'll start to know that, but, but I won't know what goes before it. So mm-hmm. it's very, for me, it's very PC.
2: And do you stick to it or does it like, does it sometimes fall away that climactic moment or are you, or, or if you know it, are you building up to it?
1: I think by the time it comes to me, it's, I usually, I'm so grateful that I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So I mostly, well, I mean, you know, stuff around it changes and I mean, I don't want to give away the sort of really, really scary thing that happens in the book, but, you know, I had to really make myself sick to write that. Um, Like, I really, like, I I think I almost threw up after. It was just so hard for me um, because it was so scary for me, the the thing that was happening that I was writing. Mm But I'm okay now.
0: (laughs) You got to buy the book. Find out what she's talking about. (laughs) Do you think you guys are ready for the Magic Silver Box? Yes. Yeah. yeah? All right. Okay. All right. Well, we have to decide who's going to get to the first question. All right. And the way that we do that is my son was messing with my props earlier, so I hope I can find everything. But um, my three-year-old, for those who missed, did mic check earlier, and he had to go home for his bath at nighttime. He wishes he could stay for the whole show, but he's not quite old enough yet. All right. So one of you has to get this first question, and I am thinking of an animal in the cat family. Okay. All right, it's in my head. And each of you will tell me an animal in the cat family, and whoever is closest will get the first question. Carly. Panther. Sophia.
1: Lynx. Josephine. Ocelot.
0: Wow, that was all right, So we have a panther, lynx, and an ocelot. Let's see if I um, still have the thing that I thought I had.
3: That sounds like it. No, we put it on the bottom. <laughs> it's the sound of a lynx. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god, we're all like Duncan's
3: dad. We are firing that baby soda. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. I love that is it an
0: ocelot? I wish <laughs> it was an ocelot. Meow. It's a Black Panther, y'all. Which, I get this? You get to keep it. Look at the detail on that thing. There's red paint in the mouth. Oh, my God. That's right. i <laughs> <laughs> um, so oh. I love this <laughs> tradition. <laughs> okay. So um, the uh, asker of this question is going to get a drink ticket, Carly. And um, just because I'm feeling generous they're also going to get an animal. Should they get a gray animal or a green animal?
1: Green. Okay.
0: Ask her if this question gets an is this an alligator or a crocodile. What Can do you I think? Do yeah. Uh,
3: that looks like a crocodile to me, would you say? <laughs>
2: I'd actually say alligator, sorry. Really?
1: Uh, I don't I it's a bit triangular. Mm. I don't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> crocodile. Do you have uh, two vo- longer, you know? Okay, so you uh, think
0: it's crocodile? Yeah. So you're telling Sophia she's wrong? I'm really nice. uh, well. Australian. <laughs> <laughs> sure, All right. Well. All right. So um, a green, we, a crocogator <laughs> and a green drink ticket goes to the asker of this question, which is, I know. Very uh, I don't know how you're going to answer this, but good luck. The question is. <laughs> How would your book have changed if you were a man?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, here you go, get some green stuff.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, well, Feminist Press published this book, so i want to say that. Um, not that men can't be feminists, they are. Uh, oh. No, can you ask it again? Well, how would the book change if a man had? Po- I don't know. How would your book have changed
0: if you were a man? That's. Have you ever imagined yourself as a man? I
1: have actually. Okay. What does
0: that mean to you to be a man? Maybe we should just go with it like that. What does it mean to be a man?
1: It's funny actually because I have. <laughs> uh, I'm wearing. So I haven't worn a dress in a really long time. And tonight, I was like, "Okay, fuck it, I'm gonna wear a dress." And I, I'm really, I don't love being in a dress lately. Although I used to wear them all the time. So, I mean, I, I do, I am sort of actively thinking about gender a lot lately. And I don't think of myself as a man, but I do sometimes think of myself as a boy, or I get sort of put in that category in dating situations lately, BOI, um, or androgynous lately. Um, so, I do think about it. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say essentialist things, but I don't, I don't know if a man would have written this book, is what I'll say. Uh, I also think, you know, it's, it's a really, um, I think it's for everybody, and I, I actually would like more men to read it, um, and I think they're starting to, like, I'm starting to have conversations at readings with, with people who I, I, I should say people who I identify as male, um. But uh, yeah, this, the three characters are, it's a really sort of, it questions femininity and domesticity and wifedom. Um, I think in ways that are, I think it's been really essential for me to sort of have some access to femininity and the feminine or wifeness. So I will say that it's very equal opportunity with the sex. <laughs> <laughs> there's straight sex there's queer sex it's all very hot it's
0: a dirty dirty book
1: <laughs>
0: guys pick it up there's only three left over here yes. he yeah. likes dirty books yes okay alright you are out of the running for the next question miss I'm not a man who wrote my book um, <clears throat> so that means Sophia and Josephine mm. I feel like uh, I feel like our number situation was pretty successful earlier, so I'm gonna say maybe can you pick a number between two hundred twelve and two hundred fifty six, Josephine? Oh, uh, two hundred two hundred thirty nine. You like how I
3: threw you off like that? Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Two
0: hundred
2: fifty six.
3: Is that the top
0: one? That was the top one. The correct answer was 240. So I think that's Josephine. I believe 239 is closer to 240 than 256. Yes? (laughs) So in the spirit.
3: What? I said, what do I win?
2: A question.
0: I know. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sorry. That was what. Do you Do you need another animal? No. Okay. You ha- You have you have one. You're I just like,
2: I just like to point out that I'm the only person who doesn't have an animal. Because <laughs> Josie got one when she was here first, and noted. I believe Carly does have an animal. Da- noted. <coughs> Don't worry. We like we
0: like our readers to leave happy. All right. <clears throat> in the spirit of I am clearing out my shit in my house. What? Awesome. <laughs> The asker of this question gets a beautiful bookmark. Is this Mondrian or? Yeah, Yeah. am I right? Yeah, I think it's actually from the Met. That's right. And when I was in grad school, which I did in the early aughts, uh, still paying it off. I went to London for a summer and studied at the Chelsea College of Art and picked up a bunch of really crazy materials. And this is a zine. that They probably don't even exist anymore. But this is the third issue. <laughs> Hardcore is more than music. They had London headquarters. And I think maybe somewhere in the U.S., Possibly San Francisco, no, Austin, (laughs) close. All right, so who gets this? This is Josephine, you get the question. Somebody gets an amazing prize. The bookmark's cool. All right. Um, Oh, all right. This goes back to the theme of what we were discussing before. And the question is, what is your favorite place to write
3: oh um can i just say in bed you can. is that that's a place sitting up, sitting up. <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> i like sky i like to be able to see sky um, i did find that um writing a novel became easier once i was sort of less Transient. I've lived out of suitcases for about six years and there would be kind of long hitches of a year or two and short hitches of, of a few months of subletting and that sort of thing. And it's really nice to be able to let, uh, you know, I, I write longhand a lot and it's nice to let things pile up around you. Um, so wherever my desk is, my own desk is Good, but failing that, bed. Mm, mm-hmm.
0: Hotel beds will do too.
3: If there's if there's a good window with some sky. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay.
0: All right. Okay. Good to know. Guess what? I don't have a plastic animal, Sophia. You're gonna get one.
2: <laughs> See, I fell for it. I saw them. They were in the <laughs> tube. <laughs> That's the grey one,
3: whatever that is. Uh oh!
0: There's two that I really want to ask you, but uh, first I'm going to give you a giraffe.
2: Thank you,
0: right. and that's our show. <laughs> so the asker of this question <clears throat> will get a gift certificate to the Astoria Bookshop. <gasps> Ooh. Ooh. It is good for in-store purchase, so what you should really do is also buy a book here tonight and then also go there and get another book because they have a lot of really good books at that bookstore, like a lot, like I want to buy about half of them. Maybe not quite half because there's like some things I'm like, I'm not really into. But most of them. Okay. You'll buy the other half. Sounds good. Deal. This This is a tricky question. I don't know how you answer this, but you have the giraffe and giraffe has special powers that will help you. The question is, if you could have been born anywhere, where would you have been born and why? Who asked this? Hmm, that's quite a question. You are next to a winner. There's two winners
2: (laughs) sitting next to each other. I was hoping it would be like if you could have been born a man, and then I could have just copied Carly's (laughs) (laughs) answer. Can I speak as the giraffe?
3: No, um, if
2: that would help, I'm you. trying to think like geographically where like giraffes come from, and then where they versus where they would like to have come from. So you're speaking on behalf of a giraffe. Well, or? I don't know because I'm thinking because because it's quite difficult for me to answer the question where I would have been if I could have been born anywhere. Where would I have been born, and why? Like, um, um now I'm thinking about camels because they were introduced to Australia, so that there was. Um, as, help me out here <laughs> if I get it wrong. Um, to, so to
3: help hunt for the hunt, uh, go on expeditions for the inland sea?
2: Yeah, and because were, right. there weren't any railroads, so then they, they like brought camels and they used to like trek across Australia. But I think event-
3: they in America.
2: Yeah, but then there's all these feral camels in Australia mm-hmm. because they were like, oh, we don't need these camels right now. And then there's these cra- camels that just kind of like go around eating stuff that don't belong there at all. Um, so if you had asked a camel this question and they were like, oh, I wish I was born in Australia, um, that would have been interesting. Uh, instead, you've asked me. So I was born in Belgrade, Yugoslavia. If we had a camel as a guest,
0: that would be like special. That intro. would be amazing. And yeah. imagine the
2: book that that camel would write. <laughs> have so much stuff yeah. up. Who knows, knows what
0: will happen in 2020, 2020 like, guys?
2: So my, if it was like uh, – if it was called like – Miss X Afghanistan or something and then it was because the camels came from there and then they came to Australia and then it was basically sort of like my book but if it was written by a camel that had gone to Australia instead Seriously? it would have been more like I'm not gonna like downplay my book anymore but I would read the camel's book <laughs> okay. um if I could have been born anywhere the thing is that I feel like in some ways I feel very tethered to what my actual story is so I feel like um I can't exactly picture what I would be like had I been born somewhere else and I'm not sure that I would want that. So there there are both advantages and disadvantages of having been born um, in Belgrade and then having lived as an immigrant for my whole life. So some advantages of it are that I feel like, um, you know, I have um, parents who spoke English as a second language and who struggled Uh, And because of that, I feel like I'm sensitive in certain ways and observant uh, of things that I wouldn't necessarily be observant of. So when I first heard that question, I remembered succession, which I was discussing uh, with my friend earlier. And I thought, well, what if I had been born to this incredibly rich family in the US and I just had this really you know, life where I could buy whatever I want and not look and, you know, not, not think about um, shitty things that happen to me. But then, you know, the characters in succession and have a pretty like horrible life anyway. Um, so would it have been good to have been born as a white man in America or, I don't know, Scandinavia? Where, where do people have the best life ever? Would that have been my choice? Would that have been great? Is it good being just a pretty satisfied person who has a lot of things given to them, or not? I don't know, really. Maybe I wouldn't have anything to write about.
0: It was a very thorough answer. Thank you. I'm sorry for taking everyone's time. I love it. <laughs> and now we're Thanks gonna have to listen. We're gonna start like having to book animal, like live animals here. Yeah, I think I'm very tired. Fuck plastic animals. All right, we're actually going to end with a question for all of you, and it's an extra special prize because you all have to answer it. All right. Um, the owners of LSE Bar also have, I think just two blocks that way, a place called the Gantry Restaurant. And I think they serve till 11 if you're hungry tonight or come again and eat dinner before the show. You get a gift certificate to the Gantry. Ask her of this question. Ooh. Okay, you guys, it's rapid fire. We're at the end quick quick response whatever comes to you first question is what is and there's a there's like a qualifying adjective here so keep in mind what is the ridiculous dream career you would choose other than writer which implies that writer is a ridiculous dream career i don't know who asked this i have no man you <laughs> here you go <laughs> ridiculous ridiculous Everything's ridiculous. What ridiculous dream career, other than writer, (laughs) would you choose?
1: That's it, sure. Carly? I want to be an electrician. Thank you. Is that your answer, too? No. Okay. Uh,
2: Florist? Electrician?
1: (laughs) No,
3: but that was on my list of things I wanted to be when I was six, (laughs) along with author and veterinarian. I wanted to be a vet. Yeah. um, I... I'd like to distill liquor, <laughs> <That's Yeah. good. laughs> kind of symbiotic really. Good writing right in and boozing?
0: Yeah. yeah. And electricity and floral arrangements <laughs> with, the, the yes, with the veterinarian. Okay, you guys are all fascinating, wonderful people and I love having you on the panel and thank you for asking all our, asking? and answering all these wonderful questions. Let's give it up for Josephine Rowe, Sophia Stefanovich, and Carly Moore. That's today's show. If you like what you heard, tell a friend or leave a review wherever you found us. Special thanks to LIC Bar, the Astoria Bookshop, and our amazing intern, Nadine Santoro. A big thank you to our sponsors over the years, LIC Corner Cafe, Sweet Leaf Coffee, Court Square Diner, and The Gantry Restaurant. This episode was recorded by Carl Jacob and mixed and edited by Justin Alvarez. Our theme music is by Pat Irwin. The LIC Reading Series is made possible in part by the Queens Council on the Arts with public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. I'm your host, Katherine Lasota. See you next time in Queens.